Last week, the software world was rocked by a major vulnerability in a very common logging library called Log4j. In this episode, we'll explain to you what logging is and why the vulnerability in Log4j was so critical. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. Dave, before we dive into the Log4j vulnerability, let's first talk about logging. What is it? Most software creates logs. Any kind of significant software is going to create logs. What is a log? A log is really a recording of events that happen while a program is executing. Like a journal? Kind of like a journal. It's like you're keeping track. This thing happened at this time. Then this thing happened at this time. Now, what kind of things are you going to write down in your quote unquote software journal? Well, things like a problem. Usually it's going to be an error. Usually it's going to be an exception. Something that didn't run the way it was supposed to in the program. You might also just log general kinds of events. Maybe there's significant events in the system. I'll give you an example. The operating system might keep a log every time a hardware device gets plugged into the system. It might also keep a log every time there was some kind of error message from that piece of hardware. But it doesn't have to be hardware. It can also be any kind of program. Maybe you're using an instant messaging client. And every time that there is a problem connecting to the server, there's going to be a log message put. But maybe there's more innocuous log messages as well. Things like you connected. Things like you got a new message without actually putting the actual contents of the message into the log file. Generally, you don't want to put personally identifying information into log files because this could then be a vulnerability in and of itself. If somebody gets access to the log files, you don't want them getting access to people's emails or instant messages or things they were doing in the program. So these logs are really mainly for errors and major system or software events that happen. So a program doesn't need to have a log to function. Like it could still work, but it's a really important tool for a software developer. That's right. Logs are not absolutely necessary for a piece of software to function, but that said, every major piece of software creates logs. The reason is they help with debugging. One common kind of log that almost everybody's probably familiar with is a crash report, because if you've ever had a piece of software that crashes, you usually get a pop-up window that says, hey, do you want to send this crash report over to the developer of the app? And you usually click yes because you want them to fix the problem. And what really is being sent is a sort of log. It's a recording of what was the program doing when the crash happened, what was leading up to when the crash happened. But these log files don't just exist in crash reports. They actually exist generally in permanent files on your system. So each piece of software has its own log file, generally, if it's any kind of, again, if it's any kind of significant piece of software. And there's also centralized places in the operating system for keeping log files. And you can actually access those centralized logs using common apps on Windows or Mac OS. I know that's what most of our users use, so that's what I'll talk about here. On Mac OS, there's an app called Console that you can find in the Utilities folder within the Applications folder. You can go open up the Console app and you can actually see all the major log files of your system, read them, and see all the events that are going on. On Windows, if you go to the Start menu, you go to open an app called Event Viewer by uh, searching for it, you'll find 
again, access to all the major system logs. And you might be interested to see the kind of things that your computer is recording that's going that are going on all the time. I don't want you, if you read these log files, to be too alarmed. There will be tons of stuff in them. That doesn't mean that there's tons of things wrong with your computer. However, when something is going wrong with your computer, it's not a bad idea to go into these apps and read the log files because it might give you some further insight about what's going wrong. You might get a more detailed error message in the log file than you got in some kind of pop-up when something went wrong, or maybe you're not getting any kind of messages at all because what's happening is kind of subtle or is just not producing any kind of pop-up error message. So these log files are a great place to start debugging any kind of problems you're having on your system. Now, not every log file will be in these centralized places that the console app on macOS or the event viewer on Windows accesses. Apps can also just create their own log files and keep them in their own special place that they just know how to access. And you'll sometimes find if you're working with a software developer because you're having some problems with their program, they'll ask you, they'll say, hey, can you go find this log file on your system and send it to me in an email? That will help me debug the problems that you're having. So that's exactly why we have these log files. They're to help software developers fix problems by knowing what led up to the problems, what was occurring when the problem occurred, and get a recording of the problem itself too. So let's talk now about the Log4j vulnerability. First, what is Log4j? Yeah, so creating these log files can be done with very simple utilities or they can be done with more advanced libraries. And Log4j is an advanced logging library generally used with the Java programming language that's the 4J, it's like logging for Java, and it's actually a number four if you go and look it up on the web. It's a library that software developers use to write log files, and it's included in, a, therefore, a wide variety of software because basically every piece of significant software is doing logging, and Log4J happens to be one of the most common logging libraries for the most popular programming language, Java, it therefore is used in a very wide variety of software. And so this is software that's included in so many different apps, a lot of them enterprise apps, so a lot of them apps at big companies, but it's included in a very wide variety of applications. And it's an open source library, we should mention. And if you don't know what open source is, I'll include a link in our show notes to our prior episode on open source software. So what was the issue? What went wrong with Log4j? Yeah, there was a very serious exploit in Log4j that allowed an attacker to potentially run arbitrary code on somebody's machine. Basically, what that means is that if the right environment is present and an attacker gets some kind of access, they could potentially run malicious code on your machine via this exploit in this library. So it's not actually that like somebody who was including this library actually did anything wrong. It's just that because their program interfaces with the library, their program can then be used as a venue to get arbitrary code into the log4j library, which will then, if exploited through this vulnerability, execute any code that the attacker passed to it. So that means they could basically do anything on your machine. If somebody can run arbitrary code, they can make your machine basically do anything. So it's a very serious exploit. Um, these type of exploits do happen all the time, but the reason that this exploit is so serious is because it's in such a common library, a library that's included in so many different pieces of software. Some of this vulnerability has been fixed, though. That's right. So Log4j is maintained by the Apache Software Foundation. They're a very, very important 
maintainer of multiple large open source projects, including most famously the Apache web server, which is one of the most common web servers on the internet. And Apache actually put out two patches already for this vulnerability and a related vulnerability over the last couple of weeks. Now, these patches have been put out, and anyone who now upgrades the version of Log4j that's included in their software will be safe from this vulnerability. However, it takes a while, once one of these patches gets out there, for everybody to go and update their system. So it's going to be a long time until we can really say that we're past the danger point for this vulnerability. And by the way, there's nothing, again, special about this. This happens all the time with all kinds of third-party libraries. They have vulnerabilities, they get patched, and it does take a long time for all of those patches to propagate to all of the users of the libraries. What's special here, again, is just that this is such a common library because logging is such a common thing. This is the most popular logging library for the Java language, which is the most popular programming language. How does the fact that Log4j is open source impact this vulnerability and how it was addressed? Yeah, we've talked about this on some prior episodes, but basically something being open source doesn't necessarily mean that it's less secure than something that's closed source. We talked in the past about what's called Linus's law. This is the idea that the more eyeballs that are on a piece of code, the more likely that problems in the code will be caught. And so Log4j is quite popular. So from that standpoint, it's actually maybe more likely that vulnerabilities in it will get caught than vulnerabilities in some kind of closed piece of software that doesn't really have a lot of people reviewing it. Now that said, what really became a debate with regards to it being open source was once the vulnerability was found, whose responsibility is it to actually patch it? So this is an open source piece of software under a what's called permissive license meaning that basically the creators of the software are putting it out there. And then you, as a user of that software, can basically do whatever you want with it, but it comes with a no warranty clause also, which all open source licenses basically do, which says, hey, you know, here, you go do basically whatever you want with this, but don't blame me if there's anything wrong with it. I'm putting it out there as a public good. And if you want to use it, that's fine with me. And if you don't want to use it, that's fine too. But either way, don't blame me if there's anything wrong with it. And that's actually a legal agreement. So these open source licenses are actually legal agreements. The Apache Foundation, who's responsible for distributing Log4j, is not actually responsible for problems in Log4j from a legal perspective. Now, then who's actually responsible for doing the fixes? Well, they actually did do the fixes, so that's good. But anyone else could have done the fixes too, because it's open source software. Anyone can go into the code and make fixes. Now, not everyone is skilled enough or knowledgeable enough about the code base to actually be able to go and do that. But in open software, anyone can go and make those fixes. In proprietary software, it's not the same, actually. It's actually worse in many ways because you're really just dependent on the original creator of the software to fix the vulnerability because you and don't have- trust that they're actually going to do it. Right. You, there's no way for you to fix it. So at least in open source software, both the original creator of the software can fix it and any user of it has the opportunity to fix it because they do have access to the source code. It doesn't mean that they have the ability in terms of skill, but they have the, they have the opportunity to do it. Yeah, I think that's actually been a mistake from some commentators about this vulnerability. People who don't really understand um, the open source world have been saying like, oh, you know, uh, it's so terrible that it's open, so no one takes responsibility for it. 
No, I mean, you go into it with open eyes. As a software developer, hopefully you're educated about what it means for something to be open source and also what these licenses mean. You're not paying for it. There, there is an opportunity actually with a lot of open source software to get a support contract, um, if, especially if it's a bigger piece of software. And then so you are actually paying somebody to go fix things for you. But most people who are using Log4j are not paying anything for it. Um, they're not paying for a support contract with anybody. They're just using it off the shelf with this no warranty clause. And so when there's no warranty, there's no warranty. Uh, there is no actual guarantee that you know this software works perfectly or that you can hold anyone really responsible when it doesn't work properly in any kind of legal sense. At the same time, you're getting it for free and you have the code. So you should investigate what you're using. You shouldn't be using open source dependencies that you don't understand and you should keep on top of when patches get posted, uh, including them in your software as well. Unfortunately, that's just the reality of software development today. There are so many security vulnerabilities. They happen all the time. There's so many different open source and proprietary components that any given piece of software is composed of that you really need to keep on top of these warnings as they come out and install these patches as a software developer. You have a responsibility to your users to keep on top of it. So... In big picture, logging is a really important tool for a software developer to be able to address issues that come up. And because it's so important, this library log4j that is all over the place and had this vulnerability was this huge issue. And hopefully, not just hopefully, they are working on it, but it's all getting patched in all the different places that it's used. Yeah, absolutely. I think you summarized it well, Rebecca. Thanks for listening to us this week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. Don't forget to follow us or subscribe on your podcast player of choice, and we'll see you next week. Bye.